Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck! Wow. Oh my God, wow. we haven't, well, I'm so excited, we haven't done a podcast in like two weeks. Holy God, how are, Smitty, how are Smitty and Wiley surviving without this podcast? <laughs> I, I got a feeling people would be able to survive without it. That's just, I, I don't know. I yeah, think it's they'd a, be it's all a, right. It's a, it's a fringe thing, but they do get a little upset. But <laughs> but, the, but what I realize now is Mike Mart's life is full and abundant. The reason this podcast really? started was because Mike Mart's life was not full and abundant because <laughs> concert had ended. Mike, I mean, Mike's just, Mike, you know, he's in, in all these bands and stuff, but really he supports his family by doing live music concerts and there were none. And so this was a way to kind of, Maybe, maybe, you know. Oh, wait. So this is for Mike Mart. Don't die should be called the no, Mike Mart. No, 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 no. It, it was a genius idea by our provocateur, Bob Forrest. And it just. But really, really. Off. Here's the thing, Chuck. So it started about 15 years ago. And, and ironically, I have the guy's name in my phone as podcast question mark. It's from 15 years ago. This guy emailed me and said, you should have a podcast. And I didn't know what a podcast was. It sounded like, I don't know. I didn't know what it's, you know, this is 15 <laughs> years ago. And yeah. so then I this had before one. everybody had one. <laughs> so, well, me and Nate, the man had a podcast before there were podcasts. Like we had Nate a live Pete? stream, Nate, the, Nate, the man. And uh, it was called All Up in the Interweb. It was a line out of a, out of a Diane Ford song. And, yep, and that, was on the, that was on the, the, when that radio station, whatever it was, 103.1, the alternative station, when it went out of business, it still stayed live online. But then you could listen to it later. So that was the beginning of my podcasting. And somebody was listening to that and said, you should have a podcast. And so... <laughs> You know, through the years I've had them, and everybody's going to make a hundred million dollars and all this bullshit on top of bullshit, NFT <laughs> bullshit. There's so many bullshitters in Hollywood. It's amazing. No. So people kept telling me, oh, you can make money off a podcast. And then I did one that was pretty successful with this comedian, Greg, called Just Keep Them Alive, which was about parenting. And that huh. started to make some money. Like, I don't know how much, not, not like a lot, but like almost enough to pay your rent. And what? so, yeah, oh, yeah. well, something, something turned, well, a, now everyone has a podcast that was Elvis was just one years old. So that was, or two years old. So that was 10 years, years 10 years oh, ago. Yeah. And, um, and you could make like five grand or something like off of advertising, yeah. like pillows and shit like that. Uh, and then I did the one with Dr. Drew, and that one made a lot of money. That made like 20 grand a month. Well, that's and, what? Yeah. And so, so then when we started <laughs> this, just to have fun, you know, Aloe was sponsoring it, and they were paying enough money to, to help. It really helped Mike. It did, Mike. It helped it him. It did. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and so now, 
Now it's Mike Mark that has no time to do the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. you had you had nothing but time, dude, for a year and a half. Yeah. Well, I mean, the concerts, the-, <laughs> the concerts are back. Um, there's a bunch of stuff going on at the convention center, and I like it. It's amazing how we forgot about COVID, that there was no concerts for a year and a half, that there was no school for a year and a half. And ironically, we don't know for what reason. We just all, it's kind of like the Iraq war. It's like, whatever, we shouldn't have done it, but whatever. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's that's the beautiful thing about human nature. I knew when we were going through it, it'd be a blip on the radar eventually. So unless, uh, I mean, I don't even remember the day-to-day frustrations of it. I don't remember it as being much except things were slow. And it looks you gotta, like the only thing that will happen is no one wants to work anymore and kids will never learn math. Those are the two things that come don't from COVID. Don't need math anymore. We've <laughs> got, you don't we've need got, it. You got that's what I say, and people call me crazy. Now, Mister Perfect Chuck says it, and people go, and people go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, Mister so, Perfect. Well, Mr. you are really a good guy. Come on, like I, to, to, to almost a sickening point. <laughs> I love Chuck. Chuck, you are a really good guy, and obviously, I am not perfect. None of us are. But but what's ironic is, or what's interesting is. I say, I mean, I said it when Elijah was in school. Kids don't know math. It's in your fucking, don't need to know math. It's in your fucking phone. Nobody's ever going to need to know math unless you become an engineer or an accountant. Right? You, 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 can, even, you can even ask Siri, what's 24 divided by eight? And she'll <laughs> tell you three. I was at a guy's house last night. And he was looking at his monitor. He has a monitor of the cameras outside. And he said, sir, he took, turn off the floodlight in the backyard. And we lo- I looked up and it just went, boop. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Right. That's craziness. <laughs> I don't want to be that organized. I don't never want to no. know how to organize that. But, mm-hmm. but getting back to this thing, I don't think kids need to know math. But all the LA Unified School District's hand-wringing Oh, kids, eight, only 18% of kids are up to speed in math or whatever. Oh, oh, oh. like, fuck you. They're going to be working at McDonald's. Most of them, like, who cares what they know about math? The computer tells them they push a button on a picture of French fries. And that's it. <laughs> and then people, and then I watch it. I was at McDonald's tonight. And then I watched it. People don't even use credit cards anymore. They just tap their phone on another thing. Yeah. Right? They just tap their phone. I know we've been like, passed up. And man. I pay with cash. I pay with cash and they just look at you like, uh, what is this, sir? What is what is what are these green dirty things you're giving me? Where's your phone, sir? Where's your phone? Did See, you use the McDonald's app? You I guess you can pay for your food through the McDonald's app and just like show your phone and like here I am. Okay, give it to me. Like it's a weird world right now. Does McDonald's so, have their own credit yet? I, I well, they have an app. They always ask me every time I buy McDonald's, "Are you using the app today?" And I'm like, I don't even. I, sometimes I say, and Sydney laughs. I don't even know the app you're talking about. You keep asking me that. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just want a hamburger and some and a and a Happy Meal. Is that is that possible here? <laughs> Do I have to know technology? Do I have to know technology to go to McDonald's? Maybe. 
<laughs> for, for you at home, you can't see that. But when Bob is like exasperated about something, he gets real close to his phone. And it's just a giant Bob face. <laughs> I wish people could see so, that. <laughs> so anyways, my, my point is we haven't done a podcast in two weeks because Mike's so busy. I, I'm doing nothing as usual. Oh, well, I'll show you the text. I <laughs> could not get it together because you guys were busy. No, you picked the one day at what time you can do it. It used to be like, when do you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, I don't know. How about Tuesday? And be like, okay, what time? Now it's like, can you podcast at uh, seven o'clock on Wednesday just till nine because I have a show? Uh, <laughs> You know what? Hey, did, didn't we used to do Mondays? Does are Mondays off the table again? Well, Bob, my Chuck? schedule. I'm trying to do groups, Chuck. I'm trying to be of service. It's so hard. Uh, it's so uh, hard. Do you know my drive to even the West LA rehab? If on the if I do a group, you know, because you, you're stuck. Like, when do I want to do a group? Well, I have to do it. You know, they eat at five, so I have to do it either at three or four. Or six or seven. Getting there, like at six, I might as well just walk there. Or I could take I could take Sydney's <laughs> little electric scooter. Like literally, the fucking 10 freeway. You can jog faster. You can jog from downtown LA to the beach faster than the cars go. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if I could jog. And then I had to I had to call my friend. I had a panic attack for the first time since I used to do cocaine, which was almost 27 years ago. So I was on, this was three weeks ago. I was on the on the interchange, uh, you know, thing that swings around going south on the 405 from the westbound 10. And I was mm -hmm. in the left lane and it kind of slants and you, and I was stopped. I mean, I was stopped sitting there for like five minutes, right? And you can look straight down, like literally to the bottom floor of the 405 going north. It's a hundred feet straight down. And there was nothing but my window and a tiny little three foot tall rail between me and death. <laughs> and I, and there's nothing you can do. I, and then I got that panicky feeling like don't move. And then I started thinking there's going to be an earthquake and I'm going to go straight down like in the, the, a movie. And I was, and I wanted to get off. I wanted to ram cars to get off the ramp. I thought an earthquake's going to happen. I'm going to drop straight to the 405 death. And I called my friend. I said, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm having a panic attack right now. And he goes, really? Why? And I said, because I think I'm going to die on the 405 freeway. <laughs> uh, you know, he, you're lucky you don't believe in manifesting because you would have brought that earthquake. And that would have been the end. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> my friend Khalil believes that in manifesting wealth. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't manifest that earthquake all the way. No, but it's weird when you get out of control, when you can't control your mind and your central nervous system starts to, starts you know, amp up and you get panicked and you're thinking this. I, I was just thinking, I'm going to fall off this straight down. I'm going to fall okay. off this straight down. And I couldn't think... I couldn't think like, wow. oh, think about basketball or, you know, think about did, sex. Or did, think you about do did you do box breathing? <laughs> I tried to do breathing. I don't know. I teach it, but I don't know how to okay. do box it. Box breathing, Bob, is so simple. Look, it's I know in, how to breathe. I, no, I in for a straight. four, hold for a four, out for a four, 
hold for I know, four. that's all complicated math. It so works you said we so didn't good. need to know math, and how could you fucking do that if you didn't know math? You can I sat up straight. I like to feel my, you know, I put it in park. I sat up straight, and I started to breathe. And I just kept okay. thinking, look down. Look down, idiot. This is serious. You could fucking die right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's it perfect that's what i would have suggested you do if you called me look down concentrate on the imminent death do you understand how high it is breathe shallow and quick <laughs> yeah, yeah so anyways i called my friend and i told him and then i felt so stupid saying i'm having a panic attack that it kind of went away which has yeah. kind of been my my thing about be getting loaded all the time and you know they tell you to call somebody and i never would and then i would always get loaded then when i started calling people since since i've been sober uh you, i always have the same feeling it was the same feeling as that panic attack is i feel so stupid calling somebody that it changes my wanting to you see like and you right. know i just you I just broke to call the thought some, you yeah, called your friend it, it changed the it, thought but it's false pride that breaks it <laughs> No, no, no. It's no. a character defect that breaks. It's it. beautiful because that's the thing. I mean, people go, Oh, I didn't pick up the phone. Man, the second I pick up the phone, I've already changed my thought a little bit. I'm already thinking about is the person going to answer? Are they even going to be there? My brain's already going to somewhere else and it helps distract. And like, yeah, like for the new people, for the new people that listen, it really does work. And Gloria Scott and Buddy Arnold and Anthony and everybody in my life kept telling me, When you want to get loaded, call me. And I'd be like, that's not going to help. You're not going to be able to talk me out of it. And I didn't realize that it's not about them talking you out of it. It's about you taking the action of calling them. It breaks, it breaks the fucking thinking. It really does. And it yeah. did it with this panic attack. So getting back to my schedule. So, so I don't know, like, and sometimes the clients are out at something, at the, you know, at Miriam's house or the beach or something. So my schedule, I want to do a group in Malibu. I want to do a group in West LA and then I have other obligations in LA. And so I'm trying to figure out my schedule and I post COVID it's just, it's incredibly hard to get motivated to do all this shit. It's why is that? Why are we all, I was talking today. I was at actually a pretty cool thing. Uh, and, and it was Apple, that company, Apple, the music or whatever. They, they're like having a hard time getting people to come back to work. And they've said, listen, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you need to be in the office because the tech people are refusing to go back to work. You know that like we <laughs> have people have to go because somebody has to be right. standing there. But a lot of other companies are having troubles getting people to come back to work. And I feel it because I'm pretty self-motivated. And I just like if I. I was supposed to do the group tonight and then I thought, and I was stuck out in the valley and I thought, oh, no, I want to go over 405 Hill. I could just stay on here and suffer home. And I rescheduled the Thursday. So getting back to, can we do Monday? Can we do Tuesday? Like yeah. Mike's schedule changes and I haven't settled on mine. I really got to settle it. But, you know, it's, it's, but you um, know, it's worth it's a it. moving target. You know, the other night I, I went to go see, you know, Jeff Drake, right? From the Joneses yeah. and yeah, yeah. went to go to his book reading at Vinyl Solution. And one of the guys that. Oh, he wrote a book there. Yeah. 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 Didn't, he, didn't he get in some trouble? Yeah. He you know, did. The book, he, said, the book is, is about uh, being in the Joneses, going to prison and being an inmate. Did, so but did it, he get in trouble again or no? No. You know, uh, I haven't, I haven't read it yet because I just got it. Uh, Saturday night and I'm in the middle of a, another book right now, but the, um, 
But so uh, Jeff Davis, this guy that works there, he goes, dude, I listened to your podcast like it's mine. And I go, what? <laughs> he goes, dude, Mike, Mark, Bob Forrest, you guys, it's great. And people, there were people standing around. And I got really uncomfortable and kind of anxious, you know, because they're recognizing me for did something. You, did you breathe four? Don't stop four? Do four? No, I stop did, four? Do four? I did, I, did, I did mindfulness. I looked around and I saw things. <laughs> I saw that that railing is hard. It would probably be cold because we're outside so I could center and be where I am. No, no I just got a little weird. And, and But he was like, he tried to explain it to his friend and he goes, you know what, man, it just kind of starts somewhere and then just kind of goes like way over there, but it's cool. <laughs> so that's what we could put as a description. Right. It just starts it just, somewhere and then goes like way over there. Way over it's really cool. well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, so I can't help myself in my antisocial personality. I'm 61 years old. I don't think it's going to change. So for some reason I had to do this TV thing today. Right. And so I'm getting dressed and I had to take Sid to school and then I had to do a bunch of phone calls and then I'm late and fucking got to be in North Hollywood at 11. And I go into my, where my closet is to put on a shirt and right on top is the fuck fentanyl shirt. And I thought, perfect. I have to wear that. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. <laughs> And you know the TV people are going to be like, uh, uh, we got to blow uh, that out. <laughs> you know, we can't have the F word on TV. And uh, and so then I I got I had a coat I was wearing a you know like a sport coat whatever it is and you know a suit coat over top of it. But you can definitely see the fuck when I move certain ways, right? And uh, and then I did the responsible thing, the Chuck like thing. And I ran back in the house and I got a sweatshirt. I got a, I got a sweatshirt because I didn't, you know, I did. I, I, I was trying to overcome my narcissism or my antisocial personality. So I get the sweatshirt. Then all the way there, I'm thinking, am I with this who I am? Fuck fentanyl's who I am. If they don't want me, then they don't want fuck fentanyl. Then they don't want me. Oh, right? I had this whole conversation in my head. So then I pull up and I get there. And of course I'm late and the guys, two guys are waiting out in front for me and like, Oh, come on, come on. And, uh, and they, and I, the, then the, one of the producers, when I get inside, sees the shirt and goes, Oh, cool. Perfect. That's great. That, that's great. Uh -huh. Like he liked the uh -huh. fuck fentanyl thing. Uh -huh. And I had already resolved, resolved to be a good guy. So I put the public enemy sweatshirt on <laughs> to cover uh -huh. up the fuck fentanyl. Uh -oh. Um, but we talked a little bit about, uh, about don't die today. Like people, people are interested in this subject. Like, here's the thing. I think everyone knows somebody who died of drugs now. I really believe that. You know how yeah. it was like only Mike Mart knows people that died of drugs. <laughs> now it's everybody knows people who died of drugs. Yeah, it really does. I mean, most these are, families, these most families TV, know somebody. These yeah. are reality TV producers and they know people that have died of fentanyl overdoses. It's crazy what's going on out there and no media is picking it up. Nothing. You know what I mean? Nothing. So yeah, I don't know. It's still not important. What we're going to do. Well, what, well, somebody who listens to the podcast frequently says, well, what can I do? They said to me, what can I do? I really want to get involved. I really want to help. I don't know what to do. Just make people aware that kids are dying of fentanyl. Wake the fuck up. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you what, government's not going to do anything, but nonprofits can. So a lot of these families that have lost loved ones, 
rather than try to get the laws changed or put some doctor in jail, it's not going to fucking do anything. We just need to prevent the next one. Right. We need mm. to tell other families that are going through this. Like, you know, I don't know how I would, if somebody came to me and said, you know, your kid's on fentanyl. My first reaction would be, no, he's not. He's my kid. I mean, that's just an honest reaction. Well, well, because so you would, you so would denial, denial. No, I didn't know with Elijah. So denial is a part of everybody, no matter how well versed you are in this stuff. Denial Probably. is going to be a part of it because the, the reality is so frightening. It's so fucking frightening. Right. If you're, I talked to a dad whose daughter was on, is on fentanyl, 17 years old. And, uh, and he's like, I don't sleep at night. And I was like, I, yeah, I wouldn't either. I don't know. I, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine because you know what it is. It's the most deadly drug known to man in the history of civilization. Yet teenagers think of it like, uh, going to see Elvis Presley or something. It's a rite of passage. It's like just the drug of now. Yeah, it's and no we just don't deal. get it because we're I'm, old. Yeah, you're old. You don't understand. No, I fucking do it the right way. You don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. You're you're a, you're a sober guy. That's all you care about. Your propaganda about sober. I'm like, I'm not a propagandist about sobriety. I don't think Gen Zers are ever going to be sober. I think AA is going to die in the next thirty years. Narcissism doesn't fit a society that bends to fucking idiocracy to a generation that's not going to fit AA sit down and shut up is not going to fit with a fucking society that every corporation bows down to these fucking kids. No, it's not going to work. AA is not going to work in the 21st century. It's not. We are changing our society to accommodate these spoiled, entitled, privileged <laughs> there assholes. We go. There we go. We are. <laughs> you don't think we are? You don't, oh, Chuck. Rehab hasn't rehab hasn't changed in the last twenty years to it's accommodate in the these last, kids. It's changed in the last four. I'm not saying it's all, all bad. Changing. I think there's some good things that millennials and Gen Zers have brought to the table. Right? Like For, like what? TikTok? Tickety talk? here's the thing this friend of mine's band that like exploded on tiktok because of the ukrainian war now there's a backlash against them right uh it, it's crazy like so their song was used in a lot of ukrainian war for the on the ukrainian side you know in videos on tiktok and then now there's this sarcastic thing of every war video has to have this band's video. And like it, we are a cynical, mean spirited society. Dude, it is I a fucked up time to try and do anything because anybody that does anything, no matter how good, is going to be picked apart by some fucking troll who has nothing better <laughs> to do than to pick apart mm -hmm. people that are doing things. It doesn't matter how good. You this is what we are doing right now is probably going to be too dangerous I to have do a small, in I have 20 a, years. But I have experience with it when it first began, right? So two events in my life. I was famous when social media came about. I was on TV right when Twitter happened, right when Facebook was happening. I was, and VH1 kept pressuring me and Shelly. Drew loves doing it. He always wants to do stuff like that. But me and Shelly didn't want to do it. And... And 
VH1 was pressuring. No, we need it for the show. It's part of your contract, blah, blah, blah. So I started doing it. That's why I started. And the easiest one I found was Instagram, right? So at first it was Facebook, then Instagram. And, and two things happened to me. One is I started reading the shit about us. And it was just horrific. It was like people calling me pepperoni face because I got pockmarks from when I had pimples as a kid. It's just like, is that really the level that VH1 wants to slump to, to accommodate this fucking cesspool of shit, right? That, that insult my, my complexion? I mean, yeah. seriously. So, and then the second one was Michael Jackson died. <laughs> And so I was a big Twitter or whatever and commenter. And I, I just simply Facebook posted let me, with a picture of Michael that I love from before all his surgery, the Ben picture with the big fro. And, and um, I said, let me get this straight. So yesterday, this guy was a pariah, unemployable pedophile. And he dies of a drug overdose. And now he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Like, I don't get you guys. <laughs> I don't get the, the society. I don't get the social media culture. So yesterday you were all tearing him apart and he's a pedophile and he's a horrible person. And because he died of a drug overdose, by the way, he's now the most beautiful man who ever lived in his songs. Everybody's crying listening to his songs. And I was mm -hmm. trying to make a point about how sick this society is. Right. Not I got death threats. I got death yeah. threats. The FBI, the FBH one called the FBI. It was like, and I was like, are you serious? And they're like, and then I started looking around my car when I, I was looking, living in Yucca Valley. And I'd be like, they really, do they, are there somebody going to shoot me in the parking lot of Walmart? Yeah. <laughs> because, I, because I insulted the great Michael Jackson. So then, couple, like a year later, I'm, I'm, out at some store and this big huge guy just looked like he hadn't showered in days and looked like a gamer just like your classic <laughs> if you want to make game. if you want to make a classic GameStop nerd guy right okay comes up to me and goes you know you exploit celebrities and you fucking you and dr drew tell dr drew he can go fuck himself like in a supermarket mm. and i realized that's who's on the internet guys <laughs> like that because then yeah. i realized like all my cool smart friends like you know perry farrell ain't sitting there insulting people on celebrity rehab all like like you know really people out doing shit aren't doing that it's all those types of people that are doing that and for some reason we listen to them and some reason it goes from social media to major media. And they're like, well, Twitter, Twitter, the Twitter verse says it's like one fucking guy like that. That yeah. lives in Riverside, Ooh, yeah. not to put down Riverside, <laughs> but I was there. I was there. And that's oh, where it was. This. So we went to a birthday party. Sid's favorite kid at school had a birthday party in Riverside. Cause there's this train place thing, this park. And I had to work in Palm desert. And then I met them there two o'clock on, on Sunday in this beautiful park with a train that runs for free through the park and this beautiful place, Elvis went off to be on his phone by himself because it was a six-year-old birthday party. And a guy came up to him and goes, do you want some soda? And Elvis was like, uh, no, I'm okay. And uh, 
And Elvis thought he was asking him if he wanted Coca-Cola, <laughs> which was beautiful, right? It's beautiful that he thought the guy was asking him if he wanted a soda pop. Uh, and then Chrissy saw this guy drug dealing looking guy talking to Elvis like across the field. And she walked over and the guy walked away and Elvis started walking towards her. And Chrissy said, what was that guy talking to you about? And he said, he wanted to know if I wanted some soda. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? And I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Cocaine. Does it? Yes. Maybe he was going to sell him baking soda with a little bit of cocaine in it. <laughs> right? This is just to practice chopping lines. They're outright Mike, yelling you Mike nowadays. Is, yeah. That you're, that you're you want to, we want to buy some cut, <laughs> some lactose, like, some B twelve. <laughs> No, you guys are being funny. Like a 12-year-old kid got approached at a park in Riverside to buy cocaine. And, know, he, and he did the right thing. Is, is, they, is they, they used to cut it with baking soda. And are they just now calling it the cut? They've uh, always called it soda. Where the fuck are you, Ben? I don't know. I'm 30 years sober. I, that's where I've been. <laughs> well, you got to get down with the kids, Mike. Talk to some of the kids you were helping like three years ago. Remember when at the beginning of the podcast when Mike was on a mission to save children? Chuck, do you remember that? Uh, and then he had like four experiences getting kids into rehab, and he was like, Yeah, I'm over that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I do. Me, me we, and chase Chuck, him. Mike, me and Chuck do that every fucking day yeah. for 20 I don't years. Know. I'm fucking my hat's off to you. I don't know how the fuck you do that. <laughs> What did you guys do? What did you guys do about the creep? Did you tell anybody? Oh, it was a really crowded parking. You just faded. By the time I got there, I was there and I was like, where's the soda guy? (laughs) But there was a lot of sketchy. There was a lot of sketchy people in this park. Like, and and it's Riverside. I mean, come on. Well, that that's just see. So some, some parents are right that they don't want their kids wandering off because if that's the level I could go to the park when I was a kid and people didn't offer to sell us drugs. Yeah. That was like 55 years ago. (laughs) 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 Ouch. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I was uh, Sydney is six years old. Most of the kids were, were like six and seven and eight. And so, that would have been 53 years ago for me, Chuck. <laughs> well, you know, d- wow, that's 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 hard uh, to look at. Uh, and, that, and, and I, they got a lot of birthday. You know, that's like it's, it's on the 215. You know, like uh, uh, going down the 215 from the 10. There's a lot of birthday spots. You ever notice that? There's like some amusement park one that looks like Swedish. And then there's another one that's got everything up on the mountain. And then there's this train one. Like there must be a lot of birthday parties in Riverside, but really, seriously, wow. <laughs> there's it, not, there's not here in Claremont. I was talking to the mayor about it. Well, by the way, I met with the mayor of Claremont the other day. Just well, me and the like, mayor, Bob. It was, it was great. He, you know, he was he he doesn't know a lot about drugs, but he did know about what's going on with families. Like, so what happens is. And here's the thing. I think AA give bad advice. I really do. And I think it's, I think it's spilling into the, the sheriff's department and the police departments and whatever. Cause you know how we do that tough love and just call the police. 
The police don't want you calling them about <laughs> how you can't control your fucking 15 year old son. No, they do not. They do not. They, have, they, they do have not. Higher things on their mind, like <laughs> shooting each other and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like so, creeps in parks. So, so a lot of I was I heard a lot of the police calls are just family disputes and and you know at the core of that or at the this at the base of that is drugs and and you know antisocial behavior and stuff like that and so there's this idea that you can just call the police and they'll make your kid go to rehab like that's no, nobody yeah. can, you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I, and I don't know. And it's mostly minors because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, families out here. So I, I don't really deal with minors all that much. I know that you used to be able to call rehab centers and they'd send out some military drill sergeant to get them. Um, I think that's kind of a thing of the past in this new, more softer, more gentle, more safe space place for our children. Um so how do you get a 15-year-old antisocial fuck you teenager into rehab, Chuck? Do you know? It must be Mil impossible. Military school. There are none. Are you kidding with all the all the nonsense that's going on? Um with uh you know, for a minute when I worked for that transportation place, we took people to places in Utah and uh, Oregon. You'd go and but take how, the kids out of the, their rooms. Do the parents have to be on board or do they cry? The parents, how does the it parents go down? Arranged, how does it go down? The parents arranged everything through the company. I'd show up. We'd be two guys. We only, would, when it was two guys, we'd only transport males. We'd get paperwork saying that we were allowed to transport them in case we got pulled over. what if they got over. violent? You can't get violent with them. You'll be charged with assault. No, but if you know how to wrap people up, it's pretty easy. You can you can um, subdue people without hurting them. Okay, okay. What are the moms and dads doing when you're subduing their child in their bedroom? They, I didn't have any of them act up in their rooms because there were two of us over six foot tall. So there's twelve foot a man in their bed bedroom at four thirty in the morning going, "Your stuff has been packed." You're leaving with us. We I can treat love that. we can treat not? you like a human being, and that's Mike, the way we'd would like to do this. You would never do that to your girls. You would never. One thing I know about Mike, well, Mark, the, well, he one thing, would never girls. do that to his girls. But huh? you know, they're but girls. these were these were parents that were physically afraid of their children. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you guys, and some so big they're kids. they're terrorized in their own house. Moms are afraid no, to I tell had their a, kids. I had to, a, no, I had a girlfriend. In the 90s, that had the same thing happen. All she was doing was snorting coke. She was the most gentle, kind person. No, they were coming in there for kids no matter what. And it was mostly based around drugs, not violence, not, not. I guess maybe no, we, there's more violence. Is there more violence amongst teenagers and their parents nowadays? I, you know, maybe there is. All I know is that there were interviews conducted and that the place is well-respected enough to where they gathered a lot of information. We had a lot of in information before we'd go. And a lot of times it would be, we'd just get them in a car, get them to a plane, get on a plane with them, get them where they're going, drop them off, and then come back. Bob, you know, that young man that I was helping that, that went down to, um, you know, your place, uh, he yeah. got physically, he got in a physical altercation with his dad, who was a friend of mine and they got really fight. Yeah. He's a guy. tiny little kid. He's a no, tiny he was, kid. He was a big guy. He was pretty, he was pretty big, you know, in his twenties, he wasn't like super small, but you know, he, he had it in him. 
I had to fight it, to physically fight his dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I did have an, an adult client threatened to kill me once. And he kicked a picture, a wedding picture of him and his wife, because she's the one that wanted him gone. And he kicked the picture, broke the, the glass and the frame and picked it up and was going to stab me with it. <laughs> Whoa. So, Chuck, do they still do this thing where they get where? I mean, is this something that is? Ongoing? I just can't imagine. And like, that's not happening in L.A. anymore. I just can't imagine it is. It was, when you're it, when, when it, we're it, bowing to everything and it and was in children. LA in Orange County. And how long really, ago though? How okay. long ago? Um in between places before I started up at Wavelength, so six, seven years ago. I love that, man. Just like you're going. Yeah, I just the parents I the parents I deal with would never tire that. They wouldn't be able to handle watching their kid leave. Did the parents watch the kids or did they just stay in another room or did they say goodbye to the kids? That, that, was, uh, that, that, was, that was up to them, you know, however they wanted to do it. And usually it was, you know, what? it sounds horrible. When I talk about it right now, yeah, it, sounds it sounds like it's bad. this jarring, jarring, <laughs> scary experience. So I'm not going to say the name anytime of the place Mike for sure. Mart, anytime <laughs> Mike Martz thinks something is great, I think it's awful. So, <laughs> you know, so we're at a crossroads right here. What, once, Chuck, once, once Chuck you're you the determiner. Mike thinks but, it's great. I think it's awful. What but, truly is it, but, uh, Chuck? What is the story? <laughs> think of the story you have to tell when you're like when you're actually sober and you go, Yeah, my mom and dad called the goon squad on me and they came and kicked my yeah. ass and threw me in the van. The, the other I, guy the other guy was bald headed and had way more tattoos than me. So <laughs> together we we made a we made a freaking pair. But you like know what the fucking is, show is that uh, more times than not when you're driving with the kids, because sometimes it was driving them to Utah, so we just in a rental car, we'd just drive. And I'd, I'd, I'd say, do you want to sit up front? Do you want me to sit in the back with you? You know, we'd stay with them when we'd make stops or whatever. But they get to talking. Once they're done being pissed off and saying, my fucking mom and my fucking dad, they'd start saying, like, start telling truth. And you could be there to hear them. So it turned into this more, way more human thing that by the time we're getting where they're yeah, going. It is. I see. Yeah, maybe I just align with, you know, it is the parents' fault. If they raised a kid that turned out like that, it's their fucking fault. Kids I, like you, that don't just fall off of fucking uh, off the apple cart. They don't. They're created by conditional love households, by absent parents, by people that aren't paying attention, that aren't attuned, that overemphasize grades. I mean, I I know the parents that create these kids. So, and you know, to me, they're just throwing their kid to. Some Something and throwing some money at it and saying, fix my kid. He's out of control. That's my opinion about it. That's what I think that used to be done in the, in the loony bins. Like when I went, you know, there were a lot of kids that were just kind of parked there because their parents, you know had what? Good we insurance. should do a whole show on this, Mike, you know how you've always wanted to have wag on here. Yeah. Let's do a show next week with wag. Cause he was thrown in one of those places when he was a teenager. Yeah, and he got sober in it, and so did Monty. So did a lot of people that that we know that got sober. But I also know, and we need to find some people that were thrown into him that it didn't work. Um, that it took a long time to trust AA. It took a long time to want to be sober because it was forced down their throat in these fucking places in Utah, and Idaho, and Arizona when they were like fifteen years old. So that. 
let's do a show about teen rehab and all that kind of all this stuff this is really interesting to me i hope it's interesting to everybody else but, <laughs> well i kind of started somewhere and went way that way so we're 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 sticking to our our formula <laughs> I no like i it. mean it is the the, fe the fentanyl thing like it all starts with this this dad this dad telling me his kids on fentanyl it's just like i can't i could so identify because my kids are coming one of them's coming of age you know everybody else sits not far behind sid just said tonight how long until elvis becomes an adult and i said i hadn't thought about it i like god five and a half years and he's an adult like it's fucking mm -hmm. scary he was just a little kid riding his tricycle in pioneer town like a year ago yeah you know what i mean and so so because he is almost like an adult now that's why the guy wanted to sell him soda he <clears> looks <throat> he looks 20 years old it's just like it's fucking crazy what happens yeah no that 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 is weird you know you go places with your kids and people point that out they go damn bug got big well, well no. now he's you know he just towers over chrissy he's like taller than his stepmom he's like right. tall and so and it happened so quickly and he's just he's just a, he's just an awesome guy but it's just so weird to think he's he gonna be an adult great, and, he has it, a great disposition he that really does but to think he's gonna be an adult in five years that's just frightening he'd go fight in the ukraine We'll be in the Ukrainian war by then. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll go kick some Russian ass hopefully. over there. Fuck as long as we got we'll the right song. Yeah, let's go kick some ass. America, fuck America. Do, yeah. Do you, is do you is there some sort of like protocol? Because I know Warren's kind of like you and me. And no, Warren like, kidnaps adults. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is there some sort of protocol in place? Kidnapping's that, a harsh word. <laughs> That's what Warren told me when I first met him. He goes, kidnapping is a harsh word oh, for so what we do. Funny, I love it, man. Yeah. Watch the cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever watched it, Mike? There's a TV show. Yes, I know. It's amazing. I, I mean, I'm a big fan, you know. And Bob, you you I have to say that you had that same sort of idea at the time. You would take somebody take people out. to Joshua yeah, Tree. Trick them, but I would trick them. <laughs> I would trick trick them. Them. Hey, tricking people is not kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. So wait, little boy, I've got some candy is not kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, are you saying tricking oh. is a harsh word? <laughs> Did I tell the story about tricking? Yes, tricking is a harsh word. Scott Wyland, Scott Wyland <laughs> saying, what will we do out there? And I was like, we're mostly going to what's called sit on you. <laughs> and he goes, here's what he says. <laughs> Scott Wyland was so beautiful, like a radiant child. He goes, really sit on me? <laughs> <laughs> how many of you i'm a small guy <laughs> I, if, if it's necessary i said if it's necessary but it'll only take one of us he's like weighs 112 pounds um, <laughs> so i'm curious but, what happens when people get violent at rehabs that's what i was going to ask chuck do you guys well okay i know that answer we what what the doctors always say is call the police and i'm the owner i'm no. like no 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 don't call the police let me talk to them and so either me or bob howland or evan go in and talk to them and usually can calm them down but then they have to go they can't if they physically assaulted staff they have to go right but, but, like, but calling the police like there was this one kid from oklahoma i will never forget it i get this call and th this is uh I don't know where I lived. I guess I lived in Encino. And uh, 
and and they go, you know, Doctor So and So said, call the police. And I know you don't like that. I was like, I, I was like, I don't want to say what I said. I didn't say the f word, her, but I probably might have said something like that. I said, I said, just hold tight. Don't do anything. I'll be there in twenty minutes. And I jammed a hundred miles an hour out to Malibu. I got there, and this kid's smashing his room up and. And uh-huh. just like ah, and I just slowly I sat outside his door. I gave him his his space, his safe space, and I said, "It's Bob, and no one else is here. I've made everyone go away." And he goes, "You're fucking lying." And I, he goes, you're, "You're they're gonna I'm gonna go to jail." And I said, "You're not gonna go to jail, but you can't keep doing this. You can't. You, you know we're gonna have to get out of here. Uh, you can go. I'll go out. You get in my car, and we'll we'll go." And he goes, where would I go? To jail? And I was like, no, you're not going to jail. What are you fucking talking about? But, you know, he heard that, you know, some tech told him, we're calling the police, you assaulted, and da, 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 right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. everybody gets fucking really out of sorts when there's physical violence. They really do. Which, you know, correctly. Was, you for know, some of the, some just, of the people just, have some trauma. Some of them have some trauma around violence, and they and totally they, and flip they out. Like, and and some well the 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 ones that we had at Allo at the time they had never really known violence like it it really you know it's there's a new generation of addicts that aren't like us right yeah. I know violence I've, yeah. I've I've been I've been my ass kicked my hand broken gun put in my mouth like I I know violence but our staff had never seen anything like this. And here's the thing in the root cause analysis, it was the staff's fault. The kid smuggled methamphetamine in. You right. know what I mean? And they all want to point at him. How he got this way is because we have a lax searching. That's how. Do you do two searches? Yeah, I mean, you, you no, know, you lock no, their, yeah, right. here's the thing you lock their stuff up. And then somebody at night goes through it. And, you, you right. know, you know, like I've worked knock shift. I'm, I'm a straight shooter. I'm just honest about things. Like everybody wants to, to keep a safe, contained environment. But but the weakest link in the chain is how it's going to get in. Right. Right. And so, for instance, you know, I worked at, you know, Los Encinas. We had this policy where st- uh, clients couldn't go to certain areas. And you're just supposed to keep an eye on them that they can't go out of vision of where our home base was and whatever. But if you've ever been to Los Encinas, there's a lot of trees and there's a lot of shrubbery and there's a lot of area. And, you know, we weren't doing a good job of like paying attention to the perimeter and to the, you know, we didn't have an, we didn't even have a gate around our rehab. How about that? You can walk in from any side. So Main Street is around get, ours. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! You can buy crack right out in front. Right. 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 Oh, that happened at a rehab. So there was a rehab in the in in Malibu. You want to know? I think three people died. Maybe it's just two. But this place had never had a death, and it burned down in the Malibu fires, and it relocated to Sherman Oaks, right off Ventura Boulevard. And within six months, I know for sure two clients died from drugs smuggled in. And it was because like, now you're in a metropolitan area, there's cars parked out in front, there's Ventura Boulevard right there. Like this is not not Malibu where you can see lights coming down the driveway from fucking two miles away at night. 
right? And and they just their staff had been together for years, and they just had no idea of how to keep a safe, contained environment in a in a metropolitan area. They had no idea. But you're right. When things don't go when things don't go wrong for a long time, you can't help but lower your guard. When well, people don't bring stuff in, I mean, like the little things. Like I go. Did you check outside? Did they stop somewhere before they came in? Because I know if I'm going to put stuff somewhere, it's going to be outside or in a common area. I'm not going to have it on me. Yeah, I'm going to put it somewhere where I can go back and get it. Here's the thing. I, you can't teach that. You just got to know that. And so so many people that work in treatment aren't addicts anymore, right? So, so they just would never know that. Like yeah. I've smuggled drugs in many rehabs, and it's pretty... It's, it was always pretty easy. Yeah, it's right? not jail. I mean, you're not squatting and coughing. They don't but, check your, you don't check your prison signs, pocket. But there are signs that, like, I always know when something's up. I, always, I just always know it. I yeah. always know. I, yeah. I have a radar about it because I know myself and how I think, and I assume that that's how the clients think. So <laughs> there's, there's one... I, I did. You're killing me because <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's so, so true. It, like, especially I can if they let tell. you find, they let you find like a little half a pill or something. And go, damn! I forgot that was it. That's all I've got. I forgot that was in there. I know there's more somewhere. Every time I've caught somebody high, every time I caught somebody high, they, it, you know, nine out of ten times they always say. I really, I didn't bring anything here. And then I put some old jeans on and I found a balloon yeah. in my pocket every fucking time. And I was like, dude, and I always say the same thing. Dude, you're in rehab. You used every single bit of dope you had. You had no dope left. It's not like that one random balloon. Like I still remember, like I told the story, I still remember the two balloons and the crack that I threw down Max Smith's air conditioning unit or Cadillac. You're I still know they're in there started. somewhere. They're fucking there. Like how these kids can just, oh, I just found a balloon of my old jeans. Like, are you kidding me? Shut the fuck up. You know, no, and you, go, you go, no, you didn't, because we hotboxed everything you brought in. <laughs> Just tell me the truth. I'm not the cops. I'm not your PO. I'm not your parents. I'm not disappointed. You did what we do. Let's be honest so we can move forward from Well, here. that's the greatest one. I confronted a kid who OTs one time. And, uh, and uh, I, because I always thought you used together like guys and girls. That was my thing, like Bonnie and Clyde always. Or, and, um, and so this kid OD'd at one of our houses years ago. And then we didn't know what hospital he's in. We didn't know whether he was alive or dead. And I was screaming at the staff, how can you not know where they sent him? And I finally found him the next morning. I found out in the middle of the night he was okay and he was stable and he had texted somebody. And so then I went to him. He ended up working for me. So I went to him <laughs> and I go, dude, you need to tell me who else is involved in this, how you got this shit in here. This is fucked up. You know, because he was attached to me. I liked him all. I still like him all. Right. And, um, take it personal and he goes, He goes, it was just me. I'm telling you. I said, I, you know, if you're going to lie to me right now, you're dead to me. You're fucking dead to me. Don't do this. Tell me who else involved. Because he was already having kind of a relationship in the rehab. And I, I wanted to know because the girl was a friend of mine's daughter. And I just wanted to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And he goes, this is the first time I heard about this Craigslist shit. This is like 10 years ago. He goes, no one else involved. I promise you. I got a guy off Craigslist. He delivered it to the front gate. 
I did it myself. I, I was, I was stealth about it. No one else even knew I was doing it. And I go, you tell me the truth. He goes, I swear to God, Bob. And, and I go, got off Craigslist. How? And then that's when he told me the tar in the, in the roofing mm-hmm. section. <laughs> like, he, Mike, did you know that they would sell tar heroin? On the roofing, black tar uh, roofing, yeah, black tar roofing in the roofing section of Craigslist, and they would deliver it to you. <laughs> One of you know, we've got this place yeah. where clients, we got this place where people write stupid shit up on the walls at our place, and it says, uh, says, hey, Craigslist, they never delivered my Tina Turner tickets. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a fake Yelp thing that they wrote <laughs> because Tina Turner tickets are for meth. You can you can get two different two different seats. One's for thirty five and one's for sixty. Really? <laughs> yes. Why Tina, Tina Turner tickets? Why Tina Turner for meth? I because sometimes they call meth Tina the same way you call cocaine oh, soda. Shit. Tina's oh, meth. Tina. So Tina Turner tickets. I wonder if Tina Turner knows that. <laughs> <laughs> is that something you should be proud of? Because it's that kind of an it? insult. Because any cop who's trolling Craigslist to try to nab some of these guys is going to know. Tina Turner hasn't played a concert in 20 years. <laughs> There's no Tina Turner ticket. Yeah, don't, don't the Craigslist people know that she's retired? <laughs> you know what? I'm looking right now. I'm going to look at Orange County. Tina Turner tickets for sale. Three for sale. Let's see. Um, You know what? No, no, these are um, they're changing the names. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. There's some Mac Miller tickets. See if there's some Mac Miller tickets. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cold. Um, How about Boy George tickets? Boy George. Yeah. For what would they be selling? Um, It's really Boy George tickets. He's playing at the Thousand Oaks (laughs) Convention Center. I'm going. I'm going. Yeah. You know, speaking of tickets, man, I got to sell a liver or something because I want to go to Cruel World. Did you see how rad that's going to be? Yeah, is good. it with what? What is who's ha- it's MGMT and, uh, and uh, it's Sue. It's, it's Iggy. Iggy. Josh it's, is probably playing with him, so I'm sure it's Adamant, who was amazing the last couple of times. Oh God, around. I saw Adamant in Las Vegas. It was the most amazing thing ever. It was, so I mean, it was like well, you know that I saw Adam and the Ants at the Roxy when he for the first album came out, and he was just as good. In Las Vegas in 2014, I swear to God, it was I, amazing. I was so surprised at how well his voice, you know. It, what his, about his the band was, was so good? Did he have that girl drummer with the yeah. blue hairdo? With, oh with my the, with God, the big yellow she, hair. Was, she was amazing. She was a monster. And the, the couple guys that play with all the bands, Joel Hellwiger and uh, I forget the other guy's name, Dan something, but they play with a lot of bands out of England that come over here. Those so two guys, the bass the, and the guitar player. the Cruel World thing. So it's Iggy's headlining? Uh, yeah. Sue and Iggy Pop are headlining, both co-headlining. Oh, really? And it's it's uh, Cruel World is Susie Sue, Iggy Pop, Billy Idol, Human League, Love and Rockets, Echo and the Bunnymen, Adam Ant. Echo and the Bunnymen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's your headliner right there. Gary Newman, um, Modern English, Gang of Four. I love making I love making Chuck 
See, because Mike never went anywhere. He was always shooting guns and drinking whiskey at Pleasant Gemmon's house. I actually went to the concerts, Chuck. I saw Echo and the Bunnymen on the first album tour. uh, I think it's called Porcupine or something. Yeah. I saw them at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Oh, how cool. I saw Susie and the Banshees Hong Kong Garden at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Yeah. So, so cool. And so it's cool. very seldom that that bands can live up like, Bob, to I when you I saw them. Drinking, I was drinking whiskey and shooting guns that night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. It was a Tuesday. But, but like, Mike Mark, wait a minute. I gotta tell you, because we gotta have we should have a Mike Mart moments no, segment no, every no. podcast. No. Let me tell you something. Mike Mart uh, driving an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> with a with a loaded pistol on the seat, not even under the seat like the OG gangsters do. Just the gun sitting on the seat, windows down, drinking a bottle of whiskey. Drinking a bottle of whiskey. Would someone at- please animate that? I want to see that on a little <laughs> animation. I just want to see Mike going down the street like that and then get to his house and just go, yeah, wait, it gets better, Chuck. At 10 in the morning on a weekday, <laughs> driving down, driving down, just going to, I am going to go. I over don't and, understand oh, what is go. so shocking about that. When you're scoring dope, a gun on the seat really does make things a lot easier for you. <laughs> oh, my God. It really does. <laughs> they don't so want that's to. My, that's my, that's a great, well, let's call it. Great Mike Mart moments in history. I the, like the it ambulance a lot. was, I was walking. I walked everywhere because I lived at Whitley and Hollywood Boulevard. Pleasant lived on that side street of Sunset behind the Catholic Church. Tomato lived at La, Las Palmas. The Cafe de Grand was walkable. The lingerie was walkable. So I was always walking. And I was walking, I think, down to see my first ex-wife, Lori Patterson. She lived south of Sunset. I'm walking down Pleasant Street. And Mike is sitting there, the ambulance parked out in front, and he's just kind of talking in the street to somebody on Pleasant's porch. And I walk by the car, and there's a gun on the fucking, on the fucking, you know. And Mike's like, got his mm-hmm. leather pants on, no shirt on, and just like, ah, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And I, you know, and most times. Anytime I would see like Brendan, like leaving had this Le Mans or I would see somebody in a car, I would ask them for a ride. Tomato had a car. Brendan Mullen had a car. So if I saw somebody, I'd say, hey, can you give me a ride to, you know, Fountain and Highland? You know, Mike, why don't you just like, you just keep walking. <laughs> you don't want to mm. go ride in that car. And the one time I did, I got arrested. You could go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! There's your mark. That, Mike, Mike, when we Mark got moment. when we got in the car chase, that wasn't that ambulance. That was like a Bronco, right? Uh, that was that was uh, that was Rock Rock Vodka. Um, cha- got in a car chase with police officers. We were in the car, Mike. We were all involved in it. You no, know, and and one of Rock's favorite things to do was to try and outrun the cops. I have no idea why he. We did not the outrun them. We no, did not he outrun never them. Did. He never did. <laughs> so his favorite thing to do was be chased and caught by police. <laughs> <laughs> we got to change the description of what he liked to do. It was amazing. 
<laughs> a lot of fun, that's for sure. I remember. Uh, and and now it's a sushi market. It's a fancy sushi market. It used to be like an old, like, like, uh, like sleazy supermarket on the corner of Highland and Franklin. Now it's a Starbucks and a sushi place. But all of us, Mike Mart, Pleasant, Rock, Smog, face one at a time, get out, lay down on the ground. And I'm like, I got warrants out for my arrest for like driving a moped without a license or something. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to prison. That was my introduction to Texan the horse sets. They thought they had apprehended a biker gang. <laughs> no, we're, it's not a gang. It's a club. We're a I gang. think I was such a wimpy Palm Springs guy. When the guy was putting my hands, I, was, I said, I kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I barely know these guys. I'm so <laughs> barely sorry. Know I'm so <laughs> sorry. I barely know these guys. Ridiculous. Mike was, Mike and Smog were way out ahead of me. I actually wrote a song about how far out ahead of me Smog was. So, wow. so there's a song called Nothing's Perfect on the third Thelonious Monster record. And Smog, was one of the first people, Smog, Double B, Anthony were some of the first people to try to get sober long before I even had any thought that I had a problem. They were already trying to get sober. And so Smog had gotten sober for a minute and I was driving him somewhere and he said, he said something um, and I remembered it and then I put it in the song and it goes, I, he, he said, I thought when I stopped drinking, life would get better he, or something like that. And, and he was obviously, his life wasn't getting better. He probably had like 46 days. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. like, he had, it wasn't like he had four years. But we were all going through this in the mid-80s, late, you know, 87, 88. And, um, and so the song says, I thought when I'd stop drinking, things would shine in a different light. And it says, mm -hmm. a friend of mine was high for years. He was high for most of his life. Two and two never equaled four. Two and two always equaled five. Because I was always the logic, I, I always kind of have been the way I am. I'm pretty logical. I'm pretty uh, like, uh, and and Mike and Smog just, there was, and Steve-O and, and Jeff Jones. And there was no logic to these people, Chuck. None. <laughs> there was no, there was no. <laughs> Let me tell you about a time when Bob was overweight. He would fight and like almost every Saturday night, Bob would be in some sort of. Well, that was fight. way later. That was when I was starting to have my own troubles. But you guys had troubles like we when I was you nothing. Well. We taught you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I it's know. Fun. One time I, a girlfriend broke up with me, Chuck, and you can see this on the Internet. I weigh about 210 pounds and I decided to cut my dreadlocks off. Anthony cut them all off in my backyard. And my head was so small and my body was so big. I looked like a pinhead. <laughs> like <I looked> like, <laughs> and we had to play this show in Santa Barbara and it's on YouTube. You can watch it. And every time I see it, like one of the kids will say, Oh, there's a concert of you. And I'm like, Oh no, it's the one where I'm like a pinhead. Oh God. <laughs> oh geez. I remember that, you know, and this is something about weight. Like, you know, I just loved, here's what my diet was. Fat burger and 30 beers a day. Fat burger and 30 beers a day. Fat burger yeah. and 30 beers a day. And he is and this, not lying. And I was so drunk all the time. I didn't know how big I was getting. And one day, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I grew up in a house with my mom and three sisters. So I always kind of 
squat to pee is what is what flea calls it i always sit down to pee because the toilet seat was always up and i'd get yelled at always down if i lifted it up and peed and then i forgot my sisters or my mom because they would go in and just sit down and then they'd sit down on the glass and scream bobby bobby you have to put the toilet seat down so i just you know, at seven, eight, nine years old, I just started peeing, sitting down because I then I wouldn't get yelled at. It was never like put the toilet seat back down. It was always like figure out a way to not get yelled at. Okay. <laughs> so it was fighting to pee. So I remember I woke up, you know, sometimes when you're you wake you drank a lot, and you wake up and you're not hung over and it kind of surprises you. I, I think you're still drunk from the night before, but I was feeling pretty good. And I got up and I had my wits about me and it was a relative because i used to wake up at like three in the afternoon so it was like a normal time like 10 in the morning and i was feeling pretty good and I, and I went into pee and i sat down and i couldn't see my penis my belly mm -hmm. was so big i couldn't see straight down Aww. it was kind of and that Aww. was the moment i was like i'm fat <laughs> You know, Bob, I have to say that Chuck and I just sit, when you tell the peen sitting down story, uh, <laughs> yeah. we just sit in fascination and like wonderment. I have no idea how that guilt peen got. <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's yeah. sad. I mean, I get it when you're too drunk to focus. I mean, I, I get that when you can, we can sit on the toilet and throw up between your legs because my legs were skinny <laughs> back then and you could oh pee and do it all at once but dang dude that's... i'll never forget that and so and so then that, right around that time i obviously wasn't going to give up the beer chuck so oh, right. and me and norwood used to go every day to fat burger he loved it too and he's skinny as a rail still at like 55 years old I know. so so i just said norwood came over and he's like let's go eat and i was like i can't i had this experience this morning like I was sitting down, and I couldn't see my penis when I was peeing. <laughs> <laughs> no one would, no would look at me like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about?" And and I was like, "No, I sit down to pee, and I really couldn't see my penis. I can't eat fat burger anymore." And from that day, I never ate fat burger again. There used to be a fat burger down the street of my house, and one on there still is one on Hollywood and Vermont right by the music school. And I just think that place is the devil. That That is the devil's workshop right there, that fat burger. <laughs> Dude, you know how good they are? Not for young they're, people, though. They're so good, though. Yeah. I haven't yeah, had a fat... I bet you I haven't had a fat burger in 30 years. Maybe I should get one. What's the, what's the difference now? I'm 61 years old. Who cares? They are so good. <laughs> All right. So... So anyways, getting back to the original thought is we started this podcast so that Mike could like have something to do. And now Mike has something to do. And now we can't do the podcast because Mike always has something to do. And you so, already said that you're busy also. You're back. No, I'm trying to figure out a schedule. Listen, I can do it any time. Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. Why does it have to be at night? You're like, Tuesday. like, is that because That's Chuck? Because I work there, during the day. Chuck works during the day. But so yeah, but, but in rehab, you can duck out for an hour. I'm telling you. I work <laughs> no, in I worked no. in rehab my whole life. I'll tell you this last story. Come when spend a day a, with me. This is, the, this is the best. 
this is this is like I built it the greatest team that I believe. Every rehab thinks they had the best team, but my Lost and Seen is team with Louisa and Shelly and Dr. Drew and Dr. Blum and and, and Sasha, the nurse, and me and all the techs that were handpicked and Dr. Lonikai Klaus and Dr. Sharp and all this just the it was the great we were the greatest drug and alcohol treatment team I I've ever been a part of for like two or three years. It was just amazing. And so once it was in place, though, when you got a system that good and you got everyone's like A plus and you're the boss, you don't really have to be there. I realized like, you know, I don't really have to get there at 830 in the morning. I don't really have to. I'm exempt. I, you know, I do the group in the evening, the family group. So I started going in like at 930 at first, Chuck. Are you ready for this? This is going to get brutal. I started going in at 930. And then, you know, I get in at 9.30, there's groups going all over campus and no, nothing for me to really do. So I go in my office and watch TV for a while and then, and then like wait for everybody to get done with the groups at 11.30 and then talk a little bit and then go have lunch. And so then I started thinking, well, there's no real reason for me to get there at 9.30. I could really get there at 11.30. <laughs> so that was another so the first six months was like get there at 9.30. Then the next six, next three months was get there at like 11.30. Then I just started getting there right after lunch because I had a one o'clock staff meeting, a two o'clock group, and then I ran the evening family programs and stuff. So I started going in right at like 1245, you know, like 1245. And I pull into the parking spot and Shelly and Louisa were walking from the locked units and Shelly just fucking laser focus. Where are you coming from right now? And I was like, I, I just had to run out to 7-Eleven. She goes, no, your truck wasn't here all morning. Uh, are you just <laughs> getting? And then Louisa was like, are you just getting here right now? Wow. And I, because that, because I would text them like as if I was in my office. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, that's lying. Yeah, very. Forget that. That's the not feeling very of fun. like, they were so beyond anger so that's all louisa said was are you are you fucking kidding me you're just getting here right now and then they just walked around me and passed me and left and i was standing in the parking lot like i'm your boss (laughs) (laughs) yeah well well, i'm the team so i have so i'm in the process of that trying to figure out like what i need to do when i need to be there what i need to do and it's really you know, there's that little Bob that just wants to stay home and watch Perry Mason. So I'll figure it out. We'll get on a consistent podcast night. And I promise, I promise. And uh, I was you know, only but- busy during the Nutcracker, which was I was doing Nutcracker every <laughs> night. It was like, it was awesome. <laughs> How many times? Okay, let's leave it with this. How many times did you have to watch the Nutcracker this, this season? Oh, a lot. A lot. But it was, it's great. Two shows I, on Sunday? Two shows on Sunday? It's great because I'm, 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 you know, I have an entire orchestra mic'd up. It's, you know, it's wonderful, man. It's like, well, I, here's I the hope for you. Rock and roll, new, yeah. Here's the hope for you, newly sober people. You can go from a gun toting, crack smoking, rock and roll, gun slinging guitar player and two, two of the coolest bands in Hollywood. You can invent an actual aesthetic that is internationally famous because Guns N' Roses basically just copies what Mike Mart looked like. And 
And no, true. seriously, I'm telling you, no, the chains uh, on the I'm cowboy, just enjoying the, the, way chain, you the chains on the cowboy boots and all that shit. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that's Mike Mart. And, um, and so, so you can go from that. Like, you know, you probably should have died at 27, Mike, let's face it, yeah. but you didn't. <laughs> and, and now, and you can spend your sobriety 30 years from now, Watching the Nutcracker over and over and over. Again. You know what? It's odd. I never get tired of it. I love it. <laughs> you know what? I like. I like that. I like. It's you fucking know crazy, man. And I know every song up and down. Oh God in heaven! Guns and Roses just became the all-time concert-grossing band in history. Okay, Bob, tell me it's not my imagination. You and I used to do a rock version of Knocking on Heaven's Door, correct? All the yeah, time. and, and, and Axel saw it. Axel, Axel kind of tips that to that. Oh, he does? He does. You know, one thing that no one understands, and Chuck, you're kind of learning about it through us, the L.A. music scene in the 80s was very small, and we were all, we were all friends in one yeah. way or another. We were all it's friends. very incestual. It yeah. was really... It was really like, you know, I just love Steven Adler. I've always loved him. He's like just he's just like a little brother to me. I just love him and I always have. And I remember him telling me about this new band he's in. And I was just like, ah, because he had been in a lot of not so great bands, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I had seen play at like the Coconut Teaser. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Steven. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he goes, We come, we come, he's got a flyer, we come, you gotta come. And I was like, ah. and you know what's funny is there was a guy in, on the Don't Die group, Steve McCormick, who uh, was asking me about like Robin Crosby and said, you knew him. And I said, yeah, I knew him. We did drugs together. I didn't really like the music. I never really asked to go to concerts. I wasn't really into that. But Robin was a Robin great guy. never even offered. Robin used to stay at my house for like four he days. Offered. He never even offered me to go to a rat show. Oh, well, that's because you didn't bring him dope. He always wanted me to come. <laughs> <bring him> dope. <laughs> no, uh, I was giving, you know what I was doing, Chuck, in 1988, <laughs> 87? I was giving Robin Crosby a safe space. I was, it was a safe space away You're from right. his wife, away from You're his right. band, I know. A safe space for him to just be himself. But what to, yeah. to continue on your on your conversation was that we were all friends and it was just, you know, he was kind of one of us, you know, because he was one of us, you know, with us, he didn't really act super rock stars. He mean, wasn't you know, bougie. Yeah, I do. I do. I do love telling the story. And I know I've told it again. We're sitting there shooting coke in my den and I always watch basketball. I've got basketball on now. I had it on that that night when we're the day two of shooting coke brought to you by Robin Crosby. And uh, and he just hears that out of the corner of his ear, like on the basketball thing. He goes, what's the name of the place that they're playing at? Oh, yeah. And I said, it's the Detroit yeah. Pistons. It's the Salt Palace. And he goes, I think we're playing there this weekend. And I was just like, holy shit. How do you go from shooting coke at my house to playing that? Like that—that's a long—that's a long forty-eight hours. <laughs> uh, round and round, what goes around comes around. All right, round man, don't die, round. you guys. Let's get out. <laughs> don't die. I loved rap, but I wouldn't go see him. I'm glad you guys didn't die in between this and the last episode because I really enjoy talking with you guys. Oh, yeah. There's that. Yeah. This you is have fun. a great night, fellas. Yeah.
Maybe it's better when we don't talk to each other for two weeks. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. Yeah, no, no, no. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.